to begin today some famous final words from the French Enlightenment thinker and all-around smartass Voltaire when he was asked on his deathbed, did he renounce Satan? He said, now is not the time to be making new enemies. <laughs> from Oscar Wilde, also known for good quip, dying as he was in a shabby hotel with shabby wallpaper peeling off the walls around him, he pointed to it and said, one or the other of us has got to go. <laughs> Henry David Thoreau with some insight, not as much humor perhaps, but when he was asked as he was dying, if he had made his peace with God, he answered, I was never aware that we had quarreled. Steve Jobs with an ending fitting to his creative life, it's reported that his final words were simply, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And Henry Ward Beecher, uh, famous at the time, clergy person in the 1800s in Brooklyn, New York, is said to have said simply at his end. And now comes the mystery. Now, some of these are what my uh, journalist wife would call perhaps a little unreliably sourced. <laughs> so we're going to say maybe some of them happened. And in terms of what they point to, all of them are true. So here's something that did happen and is true. This is a face that you might recognize. Maybe you've seen her over the last month or so. Her name is Amy Krauss Rosenthal. And around early February, she wrote something in the New York Times. She was a children's writer, very successful, wrote for the Times. And right around Valentine's Day, penned these words. You may want to marry my husband. Because Amy Krauss Rosenthal, aged 51, had found out just months before that she had ovarian cancer and she was going to die. And so she wrote a personal ad for her husband who would outlive her. She said, at this Valentine's Day, I want you to meet Jason as our love comes to an end and so perhaps another love may begin for him. I'm not going to read you any more of it other than to say, go if you haven't read it. Go and read it and bring your tissues with you. It is beautiful. This parting gift, these parting gifts I've shared with you today from these people handing off legacy, handing off the meaning of their lives better, better than any game show would ever help ever hope to offer us as parting gifts. There's a woman named Carrie Egan, who is a hospice chaplain, who wrote recently about the experience she had that I had 20 years ago, that Reverend Lee had, that pretty much all of our colleagues have, which is the experience of being a hospital chaplain for a summer. It's the first time when all the people who've been evaluating us as we move towards ministry really see if we got what it takes. It's the first time many of us are around situations well beyond our control. 
And so Kerry Egan was doing hospital chaplaincy about 15 years ago or so. And she, that summer, ran into a professor she knew on campus. And the professor asked, well, describe your chaplaincy experience. What happens there? Do you talk about God? And she said, "Um, sometimes. Not really, not much. And he grew more skeptical. Do you talk about the meaning of life? Not really. Well, do you talk about faith? She said, mostly what we talk about is they talk and I listen and they talk about their families. The professor did not seem impressed. And she learned how unimpressed this professor was when the next semester, when she was in that professor's class, he started to tell a story about an unnamed chaplain. And he described it imperiously and derisively. So what do you do? Well, I, I, I talk about their families. He said, your families? I envision this in the voice or I hear it with like, remember Alan Iverson talking about practice, (laughs) practice, families. And the professor was on a roll and the class was eating up, save for Carrie Egan, who was sitting there bathing in a sense of shame and embarrassment. He continued saying, The last person I ever want to see is a Harvard Divinity School chaplain asking me to talk about my family. And she wondered in that moment, well, maybe if I wasn't so inadequate, maybe I could have asked them to talk about God or I could have got them to talk about faith or spirituality or all this stuff that he is saying is so important that somehow I totally missed out on. But 13 years later, 13 years of experience as a hospital and hospice chaplain, being with the dying, being a loving presence to them, she would now say something different to her professor. She would say, we don't live in our heads. We don't live our lives according to theology. When people talk to me about their families, what they are telling me is the first people they knew who held them, which is very often also the first people who hurt them. They're talking about love given and love received and love withdrawn. She would tell her professor about people who have lived decades, who in their last moments reach out or hands with something that she cannot see but that is real to them with words saying, Mama or Daddy. She would say to her professor, with this real lived experience, when they are talking about their families, they are talking about God. They are talking about what matters to them most. They are talking about their faith. She offered... I believe that sheer luminous presence that is the most profound expression of spirituality or faith any of us can have, regardless of our theology. And actually, I think all the theology and all the dogma and all the teachings are at best mere 
commentary on the kinds of experiences that Kerry Egan offers, and at worst, like the professor seemed to think, mere noise. They don't add anything to the conversation at all. What Kerry Egan offers is my experience over the years, over these near two decades now, of being a pastor, being with people who are dying. I find at the end, people don't want to talk very much about God. They want to talk about the experiences that mattered most to them. They want to reach out. They want to offer, if they can, forgiveness or receive forgiveness. They want to heal. And more than anything else, what they want is the chance to integrate all the various pieces of their lives and bring them back close to their hearts, which is to say close to home. That's what so many of the conversations I have had with the dying are about, in which I am mostly listening and they are talking. And then there comes a time when their talking ceases. When it is time to begin releasing. And the words stop. But that I believe in a wordless way this integrating still continues to a place where the living cannot go yet and cannot see. But in that space between us, communication is still so essential. And so I want to show you something right now that is the best filmed experience of the dying process and what it means to communicate in that process that I have ever witnessed it's from a movie from the late 80s that some of you might know called Long Time Companion. It's one of the first kind of major motion picture studio attempts to talk about the AIDS epidemic. And it was deemed controversial at the time because, well, homophobia was a thing then and it still is a thing now. And I want to share this with you and recognizing it may bring up stories for you may bring up emotions and feelings. I'm going to encourage you to sit with them as best as you are able. Please. There is so much that scene gets right in just the space of a couple minutes. It's been my experience that the dying do not so much fear death, although perhaps some people do. That what the dying fear most is loneliness. Abandonment. And so that's why it is so important to be seen in this film where this man touches the man that he most loves, expressing communication. I am here. Staying connected. And that coaching, that simple coaching, so much like birth in a lot of ways, right? You can let go. You can do this. You know, there are things called death doulas. Now, that's like a new thing, quote unquote, but there have been death duels as long as there have been human beings alive and dying. I think it's beautiful how in many ways life comes full circle. And so that the first things we know are also the final things that we know. That at birth, it is also true, it can be there at death. Perhaps you have heard... And there's some science to back this up, and there's an awful lot of stories to back this up, that says that it is hearing 
that is the last to go when someone dies. And so it is so important, as we saw in that clip, to continue talking. Even if there can't be the assurance that what we're saying is being heard. It makes so much sense, doesn't it, right? When we're born, we can close our eyes, but we cannot close our ears. When we're dying, sometimes the last thing we will ever experience is someone talking to us. Even think about those first few years of life, right? We talk to a child to help them form their capacity for communication. I think we talk to the dying to help them form their capacity for communion. The one final communion that all of us hold as human beings, as Sue talked about, that yes, our hearts are beating right now, and someday our hearts won't be beating. That is the ultimate final communion that connects us all with each other. This listening and this talking and this communicating all the way to the end. Some very simple things. I love you. You can let go. You are safe. You are not alone. I am here. Anything else would be both trying too much and not doing nearly enough. These simple phrases of sheer presence. And so this is where I want to end this message series. On the spaces between us. On how the deepest communication of listening and talking is not just about speech and not just about words and not just about opening our mouths and not just about opening our ears. The communication is about communion. Entering into the great mystery as the Zen tradition invites us as this holy week as it begins in the Christian tradition invites us whatever your faith experience, whatever faith experience you bring in here today, the great matter of life and death. And perhaps we can recognize the meaning of this that I have worked with over and over again, this simple, not so simple children's illustration over the last couple of years. And I shared earlier on in the beginning or towards the beginning of this series that I absolutely love. We are in space. No one knows what's going on. I love you. There was one thing Henry Ward Beecher was wrong about. And now comes the mystery is not about then. It's about here and now. So much we do not know, so much we cannot control. And yet, things that we can help assure that this day, that today, we can help create the conditions. We can live in such a way so that I love you may be the final words that any of us will ever hear. Amen. May you live in blessing. Please join your heart with mine in prayer, if you would. Prayer is a way of addressing the great, the great, great mystery. The expansiveness of this life, so beyond imagining, even beyond belief, 
And yet the paradox at the same time that it's also intimate and so close and that it's right here and it's right now. And so I would ask you in this prayer space to notice. What are you hearing? What are you listening to? Sadness. Fear. Love. Connection. May all of us recognize that the great matter is at hand as the great matter has always been at hand. That these spaces between us always lead back to the space around and within the heart. May we live today not forgetting, not vowing to be elsewhere, but vowing to be here. May we live today with the great matter of life and death fully in front of us. Not because it's depressing, but because it calls us to be fully alive. May we come alive today. May we awaken today. May we fall into that deep and vast love today.